Welcome to Westside Podcast. Each week, we'll take a relevant topic under the microscope to see what the Bible has to say about it. You will gain tools and information you need to support your faith walk and build Christ-centered families in Kansas City and beyond. I'm your host, Troy Kennedy. Well, we're off to explore another light topic here at the West Side <laughs> Podcast, the sanctity of marriage. We are so glad that you joined us, and uh, we hope we do some justice to this. Yeah. This is an encouraging conversation for you. Um, these are heavy topics we've been covering, but they're really, really important. Yeah. And so, uh, as always, Randy joins me here yeah. in our little studio yeah. to <laughs> unpack some weighty theological stuffing. And yeah. we hope that you guys uh, had a great holiday, and we're looking forward to getting your feedback. Feedback. As always, we're still looking for questions from you um, for future episodes. We're going to do a Q&A coming up pretty soon, and we would mm. love to hear back from you, not only questions maybe at the talk of topics we've already discussed, but also about future topics of conversation yep. that might inform what we do in this, this next year. Yes. So, Randy, sanctity of marriage. Sanctity of marriage. What are we talking about? Sanctity of marriage. You know, well, one of the things that we're doing in these podcasts is that we're rising above all the fray of our culture, mm-hmm. we're rising up to our full allegiance to King Jesus and to his word. And so we're really making this uh, about not battling in the, the human elements, but really coming right. up into the spiritual elements and talking about God's word and the sanctity of marriage. And we talked about this earlier. The word sanctity is not a word that we use in our vocabulary every day. <laughs> hey, honey, a lot of play. Yeah. I'm looking for my sanctity. Where's that at? <laughs> you know. But the word sanctity simply means sacred. Right. It means godly. It means holy. It means set apart. And what it means that this topic is something that we need to take seriously. And I right. think by the end of this podcast, but you're here pretty quickly, you're going to see that this is business in the upper story right. of God that is carried from beginning to end. And we, uh, God takes us seriously. He has built it into the fabric yeah. of the entire arc of the story right. of where we've been and where we're going. And therefore, we need to take it seriously as well. Well, and just in contrast, it seems that in our culture, marriage has sort of evolved into a sort of a consumeristic relationship. Yeah. Look, as long as as long as I make you happy and you make me happy, then we then we're in it. But as long as the you know that criteria is no longer met, then it's okay for us to just sort of dispose of it and try something else. And mm-hmm. what we're trying to say is, one, that is not a unique idea outside of the church. It's actually infiltrated marriages within the church. But also just to say that there is uh, there is a gravity to this thing that it is so important, it's so fundamental, and it has gotten kind of squishy even within the church. That we want, to, we're praying that we can bring some clarity and some some light to the beauty and the weight of this thing called marriage. And I think the reason this is important um, is because we're never going to win this argument uh, with people because we're starting from two totally different foundations. There's a book out called What is Marriage? I can't remember who the authors were. It was a compilation of our authors. Really super exciting book that basically says is that the people that you're arguing with that see marriage as sort of like a consumerist sort of throwaway thing have a different foundation of marriage. And I think that's where we need to start today is – for uh, people that are listening, whether you're far from God or you're a believer, maybe mm-hmm. you've heard this, maybe you likely have not, to really uh, let us rest a little bit here, sort of uh, sort of, uh, uh, really ruminate over this, mm-hmm. sort of what the foundation of marriage is, what this concept of one flesh means, and then what the purpose of marriage is versus right. what people think it is today. So I think that's probably right. where we should uh, maybe dive in. Yeah, and I think, too, is there's a lot of people have even gotten to the point where— uh, marriage is, is a, you know, well, I, why do I need a piece of paper 
to prove my our love for one another? Mm-hmm. Why do we you know why why do we need all this? What's the whole point? Why is marriage for Christians such a big deal? And what we're gonna you're gonna see here from a biblical standpoint that as Randy alluded to already, it, it is from the very beginning of the biblical narrative to the very end, mm-hmm. marriage is woven throughout it as this beautiful picture that we're gonna try and paint for you right now. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's start with the foundation. And uh, in Genesis chapter two, uh, verses eighteen through twenty four, I'm gonna read it because it's the it is is this sort of the foundation, you know, we're, uh, we're in the garden, we're in the creation story, and, um, and this is what takes place. This is the first institution to be created by God. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And we're going to come back to that mm-hmm. in just a moment, because this concept of aloneness is a big part of right. how he brings Eve into the story. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. I, I would have loved to have been there when he named the platypus. You know, you know, <laughs> he was out of gas by that. That's thing. exactly. He was out of gas. He's like, okay, looks like this is what God, Fly, whatever, did. yeah, dog, dog, just, elephant. Come on. And then there's going. this animal that looks like it's made up of all of God's leftover parts. You know, and then he says, I guess, <laughs> platypus. But here's the real stuff. So uh, the man gave the names of all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and in the wild animals. But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Mm. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Yeah. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> well, he's not goofing around. Let's no. just, let's put it that way. There's a great intentionality there, and the fact he says that it is not good for man to be alone. At the same time, you can go over here just a little bit later, a couple of verses, and it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Mm-hmm. And God blessed him and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens mm-hmm. and over every living thing mm-hmm. that moves on earth. So he sets up this, this paradigm. One, it's not good for the man to be alone. Man is made in God's image. Mm-hmm. And by the way, now, uh, because it's not good for him to be alone, we're creating a suitable mate for him. And they are in God's image now. Yeah. What yeah. does that mean? Well, you know, the real thing is is that you don't see the concept of God's image until you see this Genesis 1, 20, uh, 6, 27 mm-hmm. passage. And, and it's my point of view. It's kind of a mind blower here, so kind of hang with me for a little bit. We talked about right. this, is that Adam is in the garden alone, and God said, of, in all the days of creation, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit say, this is not good. Everything else was good, but this is not good. So mm-hmm. Adam is alone. Yeah. And, then, and then the solution is, let us make mankind right. in our image. And uh, and she said, okay, so that's what we're going to do. And and it doesn't say Adam was made in the image. It says Adam and Eve, or male and female, are right. made in the image. And I want people, I want you to imagine in yourself is um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit contained in like a hula hoop, okay? They are one being, but three distinct persons. Mm-hmm. They're one being, three distinct persons. Adam is the beginning of the human being, the human being. He, is, he was made out of the dust of the ground, and that's the human being, and Adam is the first person in right. it. And so Eve is not made out of the dirt of the ground. She's not a second 
being, oh. but rather Eve is taken out of Adam. This is very important. Right. She's taken, and, and she's named woman, which means taken out of the man. So she's not a separate being, but rather she is a separate person. And now the Father, Son, Holy Spirit contained in this hula hoop, right. three persons, one being, looks at mm-hmm. Adam and Eve, two persons, one flesh, mm-hmm. one being, and says, ah, this is good. And that is what the image of God is. The image of God is more communitarian right. than it is individual. We do not by ourselves possess the full concept of the image of mm-hmm. God, but rather we, 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 we possess it in community, but not just community. Here it is, this marriage idea, right. which is going to carry throughout the entire Bible. So, I mean, you talk about the Trinity, right, as being this uh, perichoresis, right, mm-hmm. the, this divine dance. So eternally, God has been in community and in loving deference to the other persons of the Trinity. And it's, it's you know, we, we don't have enough brain to really grasp right. a hold of that. But that eternal picture then, God, who is a creator, creates, and he creates in his image, and he sees that if it's truly in his image, then... It's got to be more than one, right? right. It's got to be an extension of that oneness, right? It's two two beings, but they are made one flesh. And one of the reasons why, I'm going to kind of make a little bit of a jump here, one of the reasons why uh, when Adam and Eve sin, it's automatically transferred to us. Not everyone embraces that view of the transmission of sin, but one of the reasons is is because we are of Adam's race. We are human beings. And so mm-hmm. I like to, I don't like to call myself a human being. I like to say I'm a part of the human race. I'm, I like I'm a part of I'm a part of the human being, but I'm a person within it. And so yeah. uh, and so whatever uh, whatever they've experienced is passed down to me because I'm not separate from them. I am uh, I am unbelievably tied to them mm-hmm. as a part of the human being community. I'm right. a person within it. And so it is a very, very thick idea. However, what we discover is when Adam and Eve sinned, mm-hmm. okay, when Adam and Eve sinned by eating of the fruit, a division begins to take place. Right. That image of God, we, we, see, uh, we see them escorted from the garden. Mm-hmm. We see their offspring who are in their hula hoop, if you will. Right. Uh, th- that sin is transferred to them because we see Cain right. taking out Abel. And what ends up happening? Abel is now dead and Cain is banished. We see division. We don't see oneness mm-hmm. anymore. We see division. In Genesis chapter 5, we have the genealogy, and it says that Adam Adam made kids now and, and his offspring in their own likeness, right. no longer in the likeness of God. And so now we have to then fast forward, and we will in just a little bit here. Right. Well, maybe we should right now. We, we fast forward to the New Testament, mm-hmm. and where is the image of God restored? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 says that the image of God is restored uh, in Christ, mm-hmm. that we are being conformed into the image of Christ. That doesn't mean that I'm just individually being conformed into the image of Christ, right. but rather we are restoring the image of Christ or the image of God where Christ is the head and we are part of the body. There's that oneness right. factor there again. And then in Ephesians 5, it talks about that that this concept of the oneness of marriage, mm-hmm. which is which Ephesians 5, not only Ephesians 5, but Jesus repeats the same thing. And right. in theology, when you look for sort of this arc, this repetition of the same idea, you know that it hasn't been replaced. Sometimes right. the, the New Testament replaces or fulfills mm-hmm. an idea of the Old Testament. In this particular case, right. the idea continues on, mm-hmm. 
And uh, but now there's a twist here. Paul says in Ephesians five that this concept of the oneness in marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says, but this is actually a mystery. Ultimately, I'm speaking about Christ and the church, right. and we know that ultimately Christ is the groom and we are the bride, and that ultimately uh, the res- restoration of the image right. of God is in fact the church, and it's a picture of the marriage that was created right. in Genesis. And that's really thick stuff right there. Well, I mean, from top to bottom, so we see mm-hmm. marriage. In the second chapter of Genesis, we see marriage through the Old Testament. We see we see it as a picture of more than just a man and a wife who come together to make one another happy. We see it always as a picture of God and His people, of Christ and His Church. And it's it's not just it's 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 the ground for society. It's the ground for human flourishing. It's a ground for procreation. Yeah. It's the ground. It's the design of that oneness that God intended for all people continues to be reflected. So we, we go through uh, in Isaiah chapter 54, right? He says this, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. Your maker, he's speaking to Israel, is your husband, mm-hmm. the Lord of hosts, mm-hmm. right? And this is this is Old Testament theology, right? Then we get into Jesus begins his public ministry. Where does he perform his first sign in the book of John? At a wedding. At a wedding. That's right. exactly right. There's no accident there, Jesus. This, I think. It off. I think. I think what we were trying to do here, right initially, is 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 to talk about sanctity and the foundation of marriage, and show how the arc of God's story includes this concept of one flesh and yes. marriage and covenant, and that we live in a very flippant society about marriage, and we have got to stop this, like right now. We are messing with God's holy. Right. Concepts. I want. I want to go back to look at Genesis one twenty eight because you talked about kind of mm-hmm. the as we kind of form a definition of marriage and you know uh, from the Bible, not from just what you and I right. think, but uh, it talks about this sense of purpose that you refer to mm-hmm. here. God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground." So right after he creates them in his image, he gives them mm-hmm. their sense of purpose. And so we ask the question, what is the purpose of this union? What is the purpose of marriage? Mm-hmm. And what you said, which I think is a I think your definition is similar to mine, and but I love the way you added some things to it. You know, the a marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman for a lifetime for the purpose of human flourishing, right? right? And that human flourishing is basically the concept of procreation, that we were created to not uh, be fundamentally about me, but really marriage is more of a responsibility than it is a right, right? Mm -hmm. And then I've now taken on responsibility to care for and to enter in as though, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. In this particular case, (laughs) she is myself. We are one. We are inseparable as a being. And then as we have offspring who are coming out of that same being, we are to tend to them and we are Mm -hmm. to care to them and we are to have them if it is all possible. And then we as a unit are to be responsible in a society of giving to that society. Today's concept of marriage is completely different. It is all about me. Right. It is about a it's about a contract that you and I make with one another, not a, a holy covenant. And basically, if you continue, uh, the person I choose to marry continues to make me happy, then we'll stay married. Right. And if the person stops, well, why would God want me not to be happy? Right. This is what you see today over and over again, even in the Christian community, that is it is the primary cause by many by which many people are getting divorced on the basis that God wants me to be happy. Right. Hogwash. This is not the foundation of a sanctity of marriage conversation. 
What do you yeah. think about well, all that? Well, I think it also it's it's a reflection of God's <clears throat> design for human flourishing, but it's also a very direct picture of the gospel. Okay, yeah. You know, you like have that. you have God's covenant to you. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You when you receive God's love, you see the good work, and he seals you into that relationship with him for your salvation. Okay. And mm. that's not gonna be broken. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Mm. Neither height nor depth. Nor, I mean, and he's so clear about that. And I believe that marriage the marriage covenant is that same reflection of that covenant love that says, I'm not going away. It's not a consumer relationship. It's not, uh, well, you know, you don't look a certain way anymore, or you don't make me happy anymore, or we're arguing over something, or, you know, it's, no, we're f- for better or worse, right, till death do us part. That's the reflection of the gospel. gospel God isn't leaving you yeah. because, you know, because you're screwing it up. Yeah. He's not rejecting you because of that. And so the, the p- picture of the, the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation, it's this consummation, this final coming together of Jesus and the church. It's that we're in the here, not yet here kingdom, yep. and the marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of the beauty of that covenant mm-hmm. and the beauty of salvation, the yeah. gospel itself. Is you know, uh, I if if you're listening to this, watching this, you're going to have to listen to this over and over and over again to get the concept of this idea of one flesh of oneness, of the picture of a man and a wife uh, as it relates to Christ and the church mm-hmm. and the future. It, you just got to go over and over again. And, and one of my mentors is Dallas Willard. I rewrote a book for him called Renovation of the Heart, oh. and I rewrote it for students. And uh, and I remember uh, you know, now having to really read it because I'm having to rewrite it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I came upon all of these ideas really late in my ministry. Uh, and I called Dr. Willard up and I go like, is this what you're actually saying? Is like, Did you not ever, were you never taught this he acted like you know like what planet did you come from and but it has revolutionized my understanding of the trinity and the seriousness of it. i think most people are are modalist by at best you know they're basically right. god plays three different roles father in the old right. testament son at the gospels right. you know uh spirit you know in the in the in the in the church age and that is called heresy within the church that the, the trinity is three persons that share a being mm-hmm. and we were made in the image of that and that is it is the picture of adam and eve being married and that's the right. picture of our marriage today, which will ultimately be right. usurped, where in the new kingdom we say we don't have marriage of this kind anymore. The new marriage is right. the marriage of Jesus as the bride, as the groom, and we right. as the bride. I don't get all that. I don't even necessarily like all of it. Right. Uh, but this is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Hey, can can we shift gears a little bit yeah. on on uh, let's so uh, we we have a good definition of marriage. I don't know if you want to land on that anymore. I can tell you this. I can tell you this one thing about flourishing. Uh, any society who has decided that they're not going to take flourishing, mm-hmm. meaning procreation seriously, finds himself in history right. and today in deep trouble. You have some examples of that. Well, I mean, we were just talking about this earlier. It's like even uh, in, in a lot of the Western world, there were the creation rate, the procreation rate is not outpacing the deaths. In other words, the populations are getting smaller because they're not replacing themselves. That's right. And, um, you know, you, you don't have society if, if it disappears. <laughs> and particularly if that society, say the Christian community, right. you know, we talked about the sanctity of life. If, if we are responsible for not having children, if we're responsible for uh, ab- aborting our children, we are diminishing the influence of the Christian, mm. uh, the Christian voice in future societies. And you have other communities that won't do this, and they are rising 
in uh, in influence by sheer numbers. If you haven't, you don't believe me, look at The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark, one of my favorite right. little books. He basically says one of the primary reasons why Christianity beat the snot out of paganism <laughs> and overtook the Roman Empire is because ultimately people were flocking to the church and they were not aborting their babies. There was not euthanasia. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a result, population right. alone overtook the society. They were and taking so, in babies from other cultures they were who were in, being left to be exposed and to die, and they were adopting other children and bringing them in. And they and they were getting married, and they and and man and woman were staying married, and then they were having children, and they were being raised in the faith, and they kept their children, and they just kept going on. Right. And over a hundred year period of time, my gosh, it makes a huge difference. And God wants us to flourish like mm-hmm. that, particularly people of faith. Yeah. So let's start, let's let's shift gears now and talk about um, the the topic of divorce oh because everyone knows we're going to be talking in a little bit here about uh, uh, same sex marriage and all that kind of right. stuff. But as of equal importance and even maybe greater percentage of mm-hmm. challenge within our country mm-hmm. is this topic of divorce. So. I'm going to throw it out to you. What does okay. the Bible say about that, particularly Jesus? Well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, he has a very interesting conversation with some Pharisees. They come to him and they say, uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for every and any reason? Because in the Old Testament, Moses used to say, hey, we can give you a certificate of divorce whenever you want to. Mm-hmm. And Jesus comes back and he says, uh, "He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made the male and female? He mm-hmm. said, so he goes back to Genesis yep. 2. And he foundation. The very beginning of the narrative. Bam. Yep. And he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. From the yep. mouth of Jesus, when he's asked about divorce, he goes right back to the original design for human mm-hmm. flourishing and says, By the way, this is how you were made. This is how it was designed to work. This is a picture of me and my bride, the church, and this is a picture of the gospel. Don't goof with it. I love that because I think that's what we're trying to get us all to do today. Do exactly what Jesus did. Keep going back mm-hmm. to the original idea of God. It works. It's awesome. Right. So continue on. Yeah, well, in Malachi, um, <clears throat> Malachi chapter 2, uh, the prophet says this, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. It's like for even in the Old Testament, he comes back, and, and other translations say, um, what do other translations? He's a man who hates divorce. Anyway, God hates divorce is yeah, what yeah. he was saying in other translations. And so it's just, once again, it's that picture of the breaking of that covenant bond, which is such a scar to your soul. It's such a scar to children. It's such a, it's, it's so damaging. You, you gave me an example earlier today about yeah. if you take two pieces of paper and you glue them together and then you let that glue set and then try and take them apart, right? It's a disaster. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to hurt. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's intended to hurt. And anybody who's experienced a divorce, and we're certainly, Troy, in every one of these, we are not trying to make people who've experienced divorce, which is like 50% mm-hmm. of the population. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Um, we're not trying to make them you know, feel guilty or feel like their life is over, but we're trying to hold up the sanctity of marriage. Mm-hmm. And in the teaching of Jesus, you know, there's this concept, except for sexual immorality, there's mm-hmm. really no cause for divorce. And even in that particular case, right. it doesn't 
doesn't mean that you automatically divorce. Right. Uh, it, 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 you know, sometimes our hearts get hard, and we and we we don't um, even even in that, which is which is a viol- You know, the, the the sexual relations or sexual intercourse mm-hmm. is a picture of oneness, and I'm not going to get too right. graphic with that. But the idea is, it's it's showing the joining mm-hmm. of two flesh together into one and so that's the that's the image there and whenever that is violated the covenant has been violated you know you can see that you know wow i don't know if we can continue on you've broken this you've mm-hmm. broken this covenant and maybe that is cause for divorce but it's not cause necessarily for divorce mm-hmm. and i've encouraged a number of people uh over uh my pastoring uh to, to you know to work couples through that and right. say they've made a mistake now if they continue to make the same mistake man we got a whole nother thing going on but uh just because you might feel like you have grounds for divorce from the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Don't necessarily take it because it's going to get painful right. from here. And I've seen some survive it and some not. But we do have a couple instances in the Bible where God is modeling for us this mm-hmm. concept uh, uh, of uh, when some when when your partner has been unfaithful to you, stay right. with them. And it's it's the story of the Old Testament prophetic book of Hosea, Hosea. where God, if you're not familiar with the story, you might want to pick it up and read it. Man, it's like crazy. Uh, God has this prophet, minor prophet named Hosea, mm-hmm. and he tells him intentionally to go marry Gomer, who is already a prostitute. Right. Sure enough, they get married, and she doesn't stop what she's doing, and God tells uh, Hosea to continue to financially support her in her lifestyle. And this is a picture of God with Israel. Israel is being a prostitute to the covenant that they've made with God. The foreign gods. The foreign gods and, yeah, and all of that. And that image yeah. again. It's exactly right. And mm-hmm. so basically we have this thing in the, in, the, in the nature of God is that if, if he were to have treated Israel or to treat us with our unfaithfulness, the mm-hmm. same way we necessarily we, we want to treat others in their unfaithfulness, we would be in a really bad place. I know mm-hmm. sexual immorality is just awful, 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 uh, but we're really called to, to really not throw away our marriages. And you talked about this earlier, right. but now people, it's not even sexual immorality. It could be it could be something like I've got anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the, the posture is always reconciliation, not how do I get out of this? You know, you look in the book of Galatians, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same, ta- same temptation yourself. It's that that we can come around, we talk about biblical community, you know, it's not just, you're not just alone as a Christ follower, just you and, and your, your spouse. You are surrounded by Lord willing in optimally your, by biblical community who is there to support you, to hold you accountable, to encourage you, to help deter you. I, I could tell you a quick story. Um, years ago when I was living in Los Angeles, um, my wife and I had a good, good, uh, friends who were a couple, had a couple of kids and, they started getting really sideways, and at one point, somebody tipped me off that um, the husband he was he was actually headed to a lawyer mm. to go, and he was going to file. And I managed to intercept him and get him out of the car and talk to him. And literally, I took him by the shoulders and I shook him and I said, "What are you doing? Yeah. You will regret this for the rest of your life, and yeah. your children will be hurt by this for the rest of your life. Don't do this. Don't do this right now." And I. It doesn't make me a hero, but what it what it does is say there's another believer who had a, another pair of eyes to step into the situation and just say, "Look, I know it's hard, 
but you're going to get through this thing. Mm -hmm. You guys will figure this out and you will get past it. And don't do this soul scarring thing just because you guys are arguing yeah. or have been unhappy. And so the goal is not like, how can I, if I have an excuse to get out of it, how do I get out of it? And mar marriage is one of these things. It's, it's a, it's about a vulnerability on so many levels, you know, you're vulnerable to one another physically, you're vulnerable relationally, you're vulnerable spiritually, you're vulnerable financially, financially. you're vulnerable legally. legally. And the reason the covenant makes sense is because you're not looking for a loophole mm -hmm. to get out. So it's like when a couple will say, well, I don't need a piece of paper for us to prove that our love to one another. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to say, are you sure about that? Yeah. Because why are you leaving yourself an out? Yeah. Well, it's just going to be too hard. Well, okay, well, that's <laughs> that's the loophole. You've yeah. already declared up front that you're looking for a loophole to get out of the situation should it get sideways. But the God covenant of love God has for you, he's not looking for a loophole. Yeah. He's not looking for you to screw up and not looking for to dis dismiss you and get rid of you. That is when we flourish because only intimacy comes when you are fully accepted and you are fully vulnerable. The, the intimacy that your heart cries for, mm. the relationship that your soul so desires can only be found when you are truly accepted and truly covenanted with another person. And that's, well, we're gonna talk about this, I think more toward the ends about, uh, about the concept of intervention and prevention, what we're trying to do here at Westside and what we need to do, because we know that as maybe someone's hearing this, they're going like, man, but you don't understand how awful my situation was. Maybe there wasn't even sexual immorality, or maybe there was, but there's all kinds of emotional and phys uh, physical mm -hmm. abuse and just just, uh, uh, just a lot of, of gambling or addictions, mm -hmm. and and uh, and then you enable when you stay with it. There's, it's, it's a way more complex topic. Right. We're not trying to dive into you know all of the emotions that a person has. We're trying to rise above right. to what God's ideal is. And one of the things that uh, is going to make a marriage work, you know, I always basically say that it, as we've, we talk about finances, which mm -hmm. is what destroys many marriages, right. that at the very core of finances not working uh, is that is the family's broken. And the core of the family being broken is that the marriage is broken. Mm -hmm. And at the very, usually at the core of the marriage is usually the father, is usually the, is usually the man. Mm -hmm. and then at the, at, but at the base of that, what can motivate all of that is faith. Mm -hmm. And it is really hard for me to imagine uh, how one stays together in a thriving relationship without Christ calling us to become more like him. So many people that are listening are not right. in a marriage where both the man and the woman are deeply committed to becoming like, being chiseled into the image of Christ. Right. And, uh, and when that doesn't happen, it makes, it makes the, the joy of keeping the covenant mm -hmm. uh, hard. But when you're in a marriage, and, and, we're, and, and you and I know Gwen really well, and you know Roseanne really well, we are not perfect, and we've mm -hmm. had our you know, share of knockdown, drag out fights. But you know, to be honest with you, not really that much as much right. anymore. We have honest conversations, and my wife's Italian, so she'll get all up into my business. Uh, but I'll tell you though, um, it's I think it's because we've both imperfectly continued to try to pursue what it means to become like Christ for the mm -hmm. sake of each other. Yeah. 
and man, that becomes a huge formula uh, for it. So I've gotten off track just a little bit. We'll come back to uh, mm -hmm. prevention and uh, intervention. Intervention meaning what you did with your friend right. and prevention, things we need to do on the front end before right. we either get into a marriage or how do we keep ourselves out of the right. divorce courts. But we're going to need to shift gears to uh, same-sex marriage. And so I'm going to let you lead us off on that one, and <laughs> I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> so Randy goes out the door. Um, yeah, well, I think... Honestly, when you've seen the scope of Scripture that we have uh, hopefully effectively painted for you, that the way God has designed marriage from top to bottom, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the, the Gospels, Jesus himself, when he's asked about divorce, he points back to Genesis 2 and said, this is how it was intended. Mm -hmm. God let you get divorced as an accommodation because your hearts were hard, but mm -hmm. it was not so from the beginning. And so everywhere you look, you see this oneness of maleness and femaleness made in the image of God. Mm -hmm bound together in covenant relationship with one another as a picture of Christ and the church. Mm. So at the same time it's pretty clear in the in the Old and New Testament that homosexuality mm -hmm. the in action mm -hmm. is pretty clearly condemned. You're not talking about same-sex attraction here. You're no, talking no, no, about no. the act right. of sex with a person of the uh, of the same sex as you. I would say the act of sex outside of the marriage covenant as it is intended. Mm -hmm. So it's, it could be uh, homosexual, it could be heterosexual, but any kind of... Because that sexual intimacy, that sex itself is the... It's the... Uh, it's not, not the glue, what am I trying to say? It's, it's the seal mm -hmm. of that relationship. It says, I am vulnerable to you physically as I am vulnerable to you in every other conceivable way. And so this is my bond to you as Christ is bonded to his church. Mm -hmm. And the picture is always between a man and a woman from top to bottom. And so at the same time, you see you know, people in, uh, operating in polygamy and people uh, having sex with animals and people having sex with uh, same-sex partners. And the, all of these things throughout the Scripture are condemned because they are, not, they are outside of the bounds of the covenant marriage. And God's not doing uh, creating these boundaries on us to be mean-spirited, right. Right? right? He's doing it because He created us, and He knows how we will flourish as a human mm -hmm. society. And Jesus went back to it, and we're going to see Paul going back to it. It's a really important thing. I want, I want to lay out, and maybe we can put them in the show notes, uh, so we don't read them all, but these are the passages that are the most prominent uh, mm -hmm. where the Bible clearly says uh, homosexuality is not good. Okay. Uh, so Leviticus 18.22, uh, mm -hmm. Leviticus 20.13, uh, Romans 1.24, and 27, uh, 1 Timothy 1.10, and 1 Corinthians 6.9. All of them say essentially the same thing. And in, in Bible interpretation, uh, you read all these and you stack them up. Uh, you have to do some fancy footwork right. to t twist it. I always say you gotta you gotta squint, turn the Bible upside down, and pour <laughs> coffee on it. To, to, to get it to say something different. And then, again, a lot of people today uh, don't have, an, uh, you, know, uh, you know, really want to—there's they, they, not a mean spirit in them, and God doesn't have a mean spirit in them. He said this particular plan of marriage be, between the same mm -hmm. sex, 
is not ordained in the scriptures. And maybe I want it to be, because right now it would be a lot easier for us right. to to exist in our identity culture that we're living in right now. It'd just be much easier if we just kind of threw this in a way. Mm-hmm. But we're just not going to do it because we're committed to the scriptures, and long term we know God loves us and wants the best for us. But we will make a distinction that the uh, the act. Uh, not the inclination mm-hmm. is the sin. So we're not denying that someone has a same-sex attraction and that they can do anything about it. We're just saying when they act on it in a sexual way, they're outside the bounds of God's right. Word, and certainly it's not considered uh, a union that God ordained out right. of Genesis, which Jesus repeated. Would, would you agree with it, or how would you add to that? I don't think I would add anything to it, but other just to, to say that you know it's easy to speak about principles mm-hmm. until you're looking a person in the eye. Yep. And I've had a number of good friends growing up who, who were gay and who, uh, who people who were wonderful and who I loved and who I thought reflected the heart of Jesus. And, but, but they would say something, well, then I can never have intimacy like you can right. with another person. That's great. Yeah. And it's like, well, not not as God intended for human flourishing. He, obviously, his original design is one thing. And I would say this. We, we need to be cautious not to conflate sexual intimacy with human intimacy. Yeah. They're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. You can have intimacy and a loving relationship and a supportive relationship with other people mm-hmm. outside of sexual activity. And I know in our culture that sounds almost anathema. It's like, well, how but everybody has to have sex with everything all the time because yeah. that's what we do. But that is not... We're not animals. No. We are humans, and we make our choices. And if we're going to follow Jesus as he has laid clearly out for us what his best for humanity is, I think we have to trust him. Yeah. You know, I think that a number of people that I've talked to, even people that are in ministry who've had children, you know, who've, um, who've basically said, this is where I'm at, and I want to enter into this relationship— and it changes the conversation for them 100% because now we're trying to wrestle with our principles— we're trying to keep uh, the relationship first and foremost, right. and uh, and uh, it's really really hard. And so we don't want to come across as insensitive, because we're trying to really uphold yeah. the value of scriptures and the ideals of God, knowing that we don't often reach that right. And so we don't want to hate anybody, right. and uh, and uh, and we also I think want to be at come to a point where we really draw this distinction between sexual intimacy and intimacy. And I think you and I we had a conversation earlier about a a friend of mine that I got to travel with uh, mm-hmm. in a group, and uh, he uh, had a very dominant mom, and uh, he had a very, uh, you know, kind of soft-spoken father, and he was raised in that environment, and he had a very effeminate personality, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, we just had an honest conversation mm-hmm. about it, and I said, do you feel like you were born this way? He goes, no, I don't feel like I was born this way, although he doesn't deny that someone would be born that way. Right. He just said it wasn't mine. Mine, I think, was shaped by my environment, and he said, and so uh, all of my actions and movements, you know, uh, were effeminate, and so I got teased. I got teased both at school and at church. Church. And and eventually I was I was ostracized because everyone thought I was homosexual, meaning I was wanting to have sex with someone. He said, I had no desire for that. 
But eventually I longed for intimacy and I longed for community. So I got into the homosexual community and engaged in homosexual acts. And what I found, he said, when I got there, there were a lot of people like me who might act effeminate, but we really don't have a desire to engage in homosexual activity, but we do it because we want community and we put up with it. And actually he said, I don't really even have a desire to have sex with women. And I said, wow, that is really a great position in some ways to be in. He says, yeah, I know, but not many people see it that way. And ultimately, he did get married, but they had a full understanding, and they adopted some kids. And uh, recently, I discovered that they actually had some kids of their own. And uh, I'm not saying that they sort of... Uh, that uh, they outgrew all that or they now have an attraction. I don't know how they really worked it all, how they worked it all out, but he wanted me to declare publicly that not everyone who appears to be uh, you know, uh, this way actually carries the whole package of that. And there's a way, he said, I desire uh, relational intimacy more than almost anybody that right. I know, but I don't desire the sex on it. And, uh, and our society just cannot, doesn't have a category for a person right. like that. Well, the thing is, is you know, people look. People are worthy of love, and people are they are made in God's image, of infinite worth in the eyes of the Creator, and they need to be loved and valued just because of that, and for no other reason. And I can love you, and I can want to support you and be in relationship with you without agreeing with you. And I'm sure there are going to be people here who are within the church who may have a pastor from their church who has a has a different take on all of this, mm-hmm. and. And we say, bless you, I don't agree with you, but I still care about you. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there's no, we're not condemning people who were gay. We're not saying that gay people can't be saved or can't be Christians mm-hmm. at all. The Bible isn't just doesn't uh, slice and dice which sins, you know. Well, you can I can be a liar and a glutton and go to heaven, but I can't be gay and go to heaven. That's not what right. we're saying at all. What we're saying is we love you. And I want to see you flourish in every way possible. I want you to have fullness of life in Christ. And we believe that we're trying to show fidelity to the Scriptures to lay out for you the biblical scene of what how God has defined marriage. And there is probably a difference between a biblical marriage and a civil marriage. And mm-hmm. maybe you got married outside of, uh, of the church. You got married by a judge or something somewhere. And, hey, bless you. And bless your journey, and we care about you, and we're not condemning you. But once again, we're not agreeing with you. And I got to tell you, even when we talk about divorce, mm-hmm. um, you know, I come, I'm a child of divorce. Mm. My mother was divorced three times, wow. and my wife saw all kinds of infidelity and divorce in her family. We 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 get together. You know, we've been married for 23 years, and we're just saying. We're just making this up, man. We uh-huh. really don't have a model for how it's supposed to look. But I tell you one thing. We do have Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that I'm going to trust, because I mm-hmm. typically don't trust people, <laughs> that's how I grew up, mm-hmm. was I trusted her pursuit of Jesus. And as she's pursuing Jesus, and as I am pursuing Jesus, we are getting closer together. That's that whole triangle thing, remember? Yeah. Like, you know, there's God at the top of the triangle, mm-hmm. and you and your mate, and the closer you get to God, the closer right. you, you draw to each other. And I think that's the biggest message of all in any walk of life, is, uh, and, and, and it relates to sanctity of marriage. What, what makes marriage work is Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, capturing the heart of each individual. And so we have this ideal up here, but what makes it work practically in everyday life? 
And that's why discipleship is so really critical. Right. I want to say, uh, bring up something that you said. You know, in, in all these passages, in almost every single one of them in the New Testament, particularly in Romans and 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians, it lists homosexuality amongst all these other things right. that we have all been guilty of. Right. And so we don't want to call this out as the, the, the greatest sin of all, or right. even divorce for that matter, even though Malachi right. says God hates divorce. He doesn't. He hates it because of, of what he knows it's going to do right. to you, someone he loves and, and right. he ultimately died for. So, hey, um, we, we, we uh, need to talk a little bit about um, this prevention mm-hmm. and uh, intervention kind of thing. And let's talk a little bit about uh, people living together. That's a bigger pattern <sighs> than we know right. about. And there's a lot of people listening to this and wait a minute, why are you touching this subject? What's wrong with that? Uh, what, right. what, what is wrong with that? Well, once again, it's it's a, it's a it's a consumer kind of intimacy, mm-hmm. you know. In other words, if you're gonna you're gonna share all of the benefits of marriage without the commitment of marriage, it's it's a performative mm-hmm. relationship. As mm-hmm. long as I continue to perform for you and you perform for me, then we can maybe keep this thing together. But as long as you don't, then I'm out. Yeah, and it's well, easy to get out because we haven't uh, we don't we don't have to split our assets 50 50 right. you know that kind of thing right and that's a legalistic mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. because the reason you're covenanted together you're by law and by everything else is because because it's not a legalistic inf- in other words I'm loving you completely I'm accepting you completely not because you're performing for me n- any more than I'm not going to perform for God and make him love me anymore mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and you need to have the security of that kind of commitment in in that relationship. Otherwise, it's it's a what is it? It takes it, it kind of feigns the gospel. You know, it, it's an empty kind of commitment yeah. because you both have loopholes. Yeah, and we talked about this. God's not trying to take something away from you. Right. He's trying to save you for the very best. And I know a lot of younger couples, uh, I think, have the mindset, one, of the wrong foundation of marriage, that it's really about meeting my needs. And this is just a lot easier not to go through all the legal Mm mumble-jumble in case it doesn't work out, because I have a view of marriage that it's all about me. Okay, you got to rethink that one. Number two, I think you also, uh, I think we have to also identify that the reason a lot of younger couples are doing this is because of the marriage, like in your case, uh, Mm -hmm. growing up, it didn't work. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I I get a message on the fact that the nuclear family in America where it's been it's been left in isolation from a supportive mm-hmm. community is very difficult in our society to survive and a lot of people that are living together today are the product of all the pain of that mm-hmm. and so they're going to take this road that says hey marriage is about me and I'm getting out the first sign that this thing's not working for right. me and that just makes logical sense but it doesn't go back to God's foundation and the last thing I would say is the research is in I mean the right. research is in and what ends up happening first of all is a lot of times um, is a a, the, a girl who wants this is pretty prototypical, but not maybe not everybody's situation. A girl who uh, you know wants to be in a relationship, you know, and the and the and the guy is driven toward sex, and she gets in her mind: if I give him sex, maybe right. he will be committed to me. That is a failed plan. Right. You know, uh, I had a, a, a young girl say, uh, he's not getting that until I get both rings, which I think <laughs> was really good. And I think you need to have that kind of dignity in it. In it and, and I think that's important. Uh, and the, the other thing is, is that what research is showing is that couples that end up living together, they've reduced their entry point so low. Mm-hmm. They were so low that they weren't as careful as I was. I backed out of the first uh, uh, date with Roseanne on July 18th, 1981. I was scared spitless as a 20 
20 year old like how can i make a lifelong commitment and we cancel the wedding a month out wow and uh, because i knew man i'm making a covenant Sick. here i was taught covenant i was taught this stuff yeah. when i was a kid i just a young teenager and i was like all in like how could, how does one even humanly speaking make a commitment like this and so but i think people today are like well let's just give this a try and they reduce their standards mm -hmm. low enough where they come together they get an apartment lease for six months they get a dog together mm -hmm. and what the research shows is that they end up just kind of staying together and getting married because it's now too hard to get out of it and the research mm -hmm. over a 10-year period of time their marriage right. by by and large is not flourishing anywhere near right. the level of those who entered into it using God's pattern right. the failure rate is like 10 times higher if people have lived together before they got married yeah. than if they didn't yeah and I think it makes sense because you know you're going into once again you've lowered your bar for entry and then just kind of well i guess we should kind of just roll into this thing and it, it it doesn't it doesn't have the gravity it doesn't have the weight and it does it, as soon as you start to c conflate sex with the quality of your relationship especially when you're young you know there's something especially uh, there's something emotionally bonding mm -hmm. about that you know i would just say it's like look if you, no one has ever said let's simplify this relationship and start having sex no one has ever uttered those words because sex always complicates it it always makes it more emotionally yeah. weighty there's a reason for that because you are meant to be one flesh with this other person that is god's design and if we start to trivialize that and say it's just uh, just for fun it's just recreation it's just so, it's something else what you've done is you just creating those soul scars you're diminishing god's intent for your flourishing and he's not trying to be a buzzkill he's trying to give you life yeah he's trying to give you life that's abundant and if we will trust his design then maybe maybe even then marriage is hard anyway hard enough just being a man and a woman it is let alone being a man and a woman who have skirted every statistical advantage you could have yeah. going into it and then if you don't have jesus at the center of that i don't know how people survive this thing. it is man that what you just said is really kind of the 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 root of the the whole thing in terms of of uh of people here that are living together that your your marriage your your relationship is 10 times more likely to fail uh, mm -hmm. than those who follow God's plan. That should cause you to like take some action. What's my action mm -hmm. step from this? This is going to take action. Hey, one more thing here in uh, in terms of uh, uh, prevention and intervention kind of thing. I think, number one, we need to, uh, we really need to have a better conversation about um, choosing a mate mm -hmm. and... Uh, and uh, and and why faith is important in right. this decision and right. having same values mm -hmm. and being equally yoked so you know oftentimes the accident you know in, in navigational language and flying you know when a plane crashes they say uh, uh, the, the accident happened back here yeah. we were just waiting for the plane to arrive at its, at its crash destination right. you know the problem actually took place right. the accident took place back here when you weren't careful who you were being yoked with and so mm -hmm. we're gonna have to have those conversations again I'm gonna be doing a message on it this summer right. on uh, finding the right mate and being the right mate, That's great. and then I think the also the issue of intervention, uh, and I think uh, that if you if you don't have a support community around your marriage. Mm -hmm. and around your um, uh, family, you're going to really have a difficult time surviving. And I don't think the nuclear family was ever meant. So the kind of confrontation you had with mm -hmm. your friend yeah. was really, uh, that intervention was really 
helpful, and we need more right. of that kind of mutual accountability. And I think we're also going to need some more prevention stuff. So here at Westside, we deal primarily with people when the wheels of the wagon have fallen right. off, and we've got to get on the other side of this. We've Just like in the medical field, hey, mm-hmm. we're, the insurance company is going to pay for you to get this really great uh, uh, you know, health, health, health checkup because mm-hmm. if we can – find this out ahead of time we can deal with it as opposed to wait until the disease has taken over your body so we're gonna we have some plans for this summer to do a marriage checkup a really amazing thing with every couple that will join us premarital couples Mm -hmm. and a marriage couples to get a sort of a dashboard on where they're strong and where they have some holes so they may not so that they can actually sure those up in Christ in community and then flourish as God intended well, there's so much we could say on this, and uh, be be looking forward to the future, especially those of you who are who are uh, attending Westside for opportunities. We we believe we want to wrap God's family around your family. I believe everybody needs that kind of biblical community for us to get through and be what Jesus yeah. intends for us to be united as His church, as the body of Christ, yeah. and mm. everything He wants to give to you, yeah. all of the beauty and the thriving and the flourishing under the umbrella of of your faith in him under what he would intend for you. And it's like, let's, let's not shortchange that. I don't know about you. I want everything in the book, uh-huh. everything he wants for me. I want it all. I want it all. And it's not, it's not being That's selfish. That's the right attitude. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so if like he, if he's saying, look, you're not designed to operate like that in your sex life, in your relational life, in your financial life, I'm just going to trust the guy who predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. Right. I'm just going with whatever that guy has to say. I think that's pretty smart. Yeah. Troy. yeah. <laughs> and I, I want for you just for, just to understand, we are not coming from a stance of any mm-hmm. kind of condemnation. Some mm-hmm. of you out there are divorced, as my mother is divorced and as my wife's parents are divorced. And and we don't, we don't want you to hear this, that you haven't— committed an unforgivable sin by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. There is redemption and there is grace for you. Yeah. But what I don't want to do is at the risk of making you feel worse, not say something to that couple who is maybe considering divorce, yeah. who is on the edge mm-hmm. of a marital collapse, and not say something that don't do it. Don't allow yourself to mm-hmm. go there. Get some counseling, get some help, get some support, but don't break that covenant if, if, if anything, if it can be avoided in any possible way. And so we're, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings who've, who've gone through a divorce. We're not speaking in condemnation. We're speaking out of love. And those of you who've been through divorce, you know how painful it yeah. is and how soul-scarring it is. And you would tell these other people, hey, you know what? Don't make the same mistake. God has something more for you, and mm-hmm. there is life on the other side of that conflict. And mm-hmm. as a church, I want to just say we're committed yeah. to helping people move beyond that conflict mm-hmm. and find the flourishing that their marriages could have. That's yeah. why we're going to do this prevention thing. And we also have a whole counseling department at Westside that is devoted, devoted. to helping yeah. you navigate these challenges in life. Yeah. Yeah. Can I pray us out? Would you please? That be, yeah. Heavenly Father, what a heavy topic we've had today. And uh, we know that there's been some wonderful discussions about your word and doing what Jesus did when questioned about in his culture taking back taking us back right to the foundation and that's what we've tried to do today to rest on your word and your truth and this is really comes down to trusting you it's trusting you against the the temptations of our flesh it's trusting you against the 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 push of our culture it's 
it's trusting you against the against the pressures of maybe a boyfriend or it's the pressures of uh, those you meet up in school with and it's just the it's the pressure of dealing with the pain of the failure that you grew up with in your family and it's coming back and trusting in you and you alone and we just pray that people uh, that have listened to this will have captured the the beauty and the depth and the love embedded in your plan for marriage and flourishing that you're not trying to take something away from us you created us you're trying to save us for the very very best and father we want that and we struggle and I know father there are people that are hearing this that are just maybe feeling a little bit overwhelmed and a little guilty because you know they are they these things have happened to them and maybe they didn't make mistakes it just they were part of an environment that had happened to them and they just don't feel like they can go anywhere and yet we know that you accept us right where we are but have no intention of keeping us there that there is grace and mercy that you blanket all over us there is the body of Christ which loves each other and father there's not a one of us here at Westside Family Church that doesn't have brokenness in our past and brokenness in our present and we so need each other to love each other and to accept each other and to help us move forward but not move forward in a reckless way, but move forward in a way that is anchored in the truth and the beauty and the love and the grace of your word. And so we pray that everyone hearing these words would have taken away the truth, but also the grace that is offered as we seek to align our lives to the teachings of King Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, my friend. You betcha. Next week, we're back to finish up our four-part series here, and we're going to talk about what does Jesus have to say about justice for the poor. Mm -hmm. So another light one, but we're excited to just kind of explore this with you. In the meantime, God bless you. Follow Jesus every day in your life, and we'll talk to you next time. Mm We hope the conversation has challenged you and perhaps sparked some new ideas. If you'd like some additional notes and helpful links, visit the episode page at westsidefamily.church slash podcast. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear them. Our last episode of the season, we'll devote an entire show to your questions. So you can also tell us what topics you'd like to hear and discuss in the future. Thank you for joining us today and God bless you.